Well, we're in a little mini-series right now. We had a mini-series a few weeks ago called Spirit, Soul, and Body, and it was to kind of prepare a foundation for, of understanding for what we really wanted to get into. And I've taught that before. And what we're looking at now is how to walking in the Spirit. And we're going to see this morning why that's so crucial. Begin to see why it's so crucial. And last week was kind of an introduction to that. Because we began to look at, we've looked at under that series, Spirit, Soul, and Body, that, that, that you are made up of three different parts. And we may look a little more dramatically at that this morning. Uh, you, you have a body. Everybody have a body that's here today? Okay. You have a body. You can't be here without a body. And, and your body may not want to be here, but you brought your body here. Uh, you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's your personality. And then you have a spirit, which is the real you, the real nature of you on the inside. And we spent some time looking at each one of those three parts. We didn't need a lot of time to look at the body because we understand what that is. And, and we looked at the soul a little bit, but the spirit is what we're going to emphasize on. We also looked at the fact that, that the Bible teaches us that there are two different kingdoms. There's excuse me, two different realms of existence that, 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 that we interact with. First of all, there's the physical realm. That's the realm that was made in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's this natural material realm. And we know what realm that is because it's anything that can be detected by your five senses. And the reason that's so is your physical body comes from this realm. God formed man's body out of the dust of this earth, out of the material substance of this earth, which is why our body can only detect the substance of this earth. So our, my, in this room right now, there are, there are many angels in this room right now, and there may be some demons in this room right now, but I can't see them, and I can't touch them, and neither can you, unless God does something supernaturally. But in the normal course of events, our natural senses cannot detect them because they're not of the same realm that our flesh is of. Everybody follow that? But the real you is a spirit being on the inside of you. And the problem then is how can my body interact with this spirit being if they can't contact each other? And that's why God gave you a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, because it bridges those two, it connects those two together. And we saw that the second thing is that when you came to Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. Literally, the word means a new species of being that's never existed before. All things have passed away. That's who you used to be. All things have become new. And that new thing is of God. That new being is of God. So the part of you that was born again is the spirit man on the inside. And the Bible talks in a number of places about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And you can't put on something you don't have. It just means acting like who you really are. And so we've looked at all that. And, and we could spend a lot more time in it. But it was just kind of a foundation for where we're going. And then we began to look at last time. We, ended, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks to the church at Corinth, correcting them because they were very, although there were lots of spiritual things going on, they were not, very, they were, they, they were not acting spiritually in God's eyes because there was division, strife, envy, jealousy, all kinds of things like that going on. And Paul says, I wish I could talk to you as spiritual men, but you're acting like mere men. And we looked at that phrase, it's an astonishing phrase because what that implies is God does not expect His children to act like mere men and women. And we often have this thinking, well, after all, you know, it is a hard thing to get, it is hard to deal with life, it's the difficult issues of life, and after all, Pastor, I'm just human. No, you're not. I said, no, you're not. That becomes an excuse for letting my flesh dominate me. 
And it's important to see that because there's a lot at stake, which is why this is important. There's a lot at stake for you to know you're not just human. There's a lot at stake for your life, for your family's life, because I don't know if you realize it or not, there's a battle going on for families. There's a battle going on for marriages. There's a battle going on for this young generation. There's a battle going on for your children. It's in Revelation chapter 12, the end of it. If he couldn't stop you, he's going to try to destroy the children of the kingdom. They are a target of Satan. And what stands between what Satan wants to do to our children and what God wants to do in their lives is you and me. And if we think we're just mere people, then we're going to feel as if we're helpless. There's nothing we can do. Satan's scared literally to death of you. Scared to death, you're going to find out who you really are in Christ and what God really has put in you and who you really are. And we began to look at what it means that we're not just mere men. We looked at scriptures that saw that we're more than conquerors through Christ who saved it. We're more than conquerors. And he used the example of Rocky, the boxer, who went through all that training, got beaten up and did all the physical work and came home having won the championship and his wife reached over and took the check. He was the conqueror. She was more than the conqueror. He did all the work, took all the beating, took all the suffering to, listen to me, to win the victory and gave the victory to her who didn't go through it, who didn't deserve it. And that's exactly what's happened for us. We sang about victory this morning. We sang about the, Satan's defeat. The Bible tells us all over the place in the New Testament that we have been delivered from the domain, the dominion of darkness, and transferred over into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That kingdom of God is dwelling in you. That's that spirit man on the inside of you. That's the kingdom of God. One-third of you is God. Well, is God intimidated today? Is God weak today? Is God overwhelmed by what's going on? Well, one-third of you inside is not intimidated. One-third of you inside of you is not scared. One-third of you inside is victorious. The problem is we're not in touch with that third. We walk around most of our day, most of our time, so conscious of this natural physical body, worshiping it, spending time looking at it. And yes, it needs attention, but not as much as we give it. And we starve our spirit man. Who is our future? I got news for you. This body that we devote so much time for, it has no future. We're getting a new one. It's just meant to carry you through the rest of your time here and then we just shed it off. We get a br- so why do we spend so much time worrying about it and spending so much time devoting to paying attention to it and not just our body but this natural world? You're more than conquerors through Him who delivered us and loved us and saved us. We ended by looking over in Matthew 16, 18 and 19 where Jesus said about His church, and I will build my church. He said, on this revelation of who I am, I will build my church. There are people out there trying to build their own churches, but Jesus is building His church. Now listen carefully. He's going to build His church His way. But His church in His way prevails because He goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church isn't this building. The church is you. And the church is me. And the church is you and me when we come together. 
The word church is a Greek word, ecclesia, which literally means called out ones. Those that are called, called out of the world to gather together is literally what it means. That's what the church is. That's what that word means. So that's what we're going to be look, begin to look at. So we're going to start looking at the fact that you are an overcomer. And we're going to learn how to overcome together. And there are things the Bible has told us that we, can, we are to overcome. Because Jesus, Jesus has already... Oh, oh this... Ooh, Jesus has already overcome Satan. Jesus has already overcome Satan. I've got to be careful here because I can get sidetracked. Satan's authority over your life and my life was the sin we committed. Because sin authorized him entrance and control in our lives. But Jesus came literally to ransom you back. Oh, I got to be real careful here because mm, I was meditating on that this week about what the word ransom means. And every once in a while, tragically, there's a kidnapping. Somebody, in order to get money, steals a child of somebody that they think has money. And then they say, I'll give the child back to you, but you're going to pay me this ransom. And the reason they take that helpless child is because they know that child is so valuable to those parents, they'll pay whatever it takes to get that child back. Jesus ransomed you. You and I were kidnapped. We were kidnapped by Satan. But he had a legal right to have us, which we gave him. But you were so precious to God that he was willing to pay the ransom price, even at the, the blood of his own son, to get you back. You've been ran- I don't. We're not getting this because you can't sit still when it begins to dawn on you. He ransomed you. You were kidnapped. And you were so much more valuable to God, listen to me, than Jesus that he gave Jesus to get you back. That doesn't compute in our mind until you read John chapter 17 where Jesus prays that. Father, would you show them that you love them as much as you love me? He said, he didn't pray that you would love them. He said, would you pray, show them what you already love them as much as you love me? So Jesus came to defeat Satan's power. 1 John chapter 3, I think it's verse 8, says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, came, to destroy the works, not neutralize, destroy the works of the evil one. Colossians chapter 1 and 2 tells us that he, made, he went into hell, and when the price was paid, he made a public open show of Satan and his demons, triumphing over them, openly by eradicating with his blood all the charges against you and me on the cross. They were eradicated. They were washed away so they can never be found again. 
And then He came, it says in Colossians 2.13, He transferred us, He delivered us out of the domain, the authority of darkness, Satan, and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's where you live and reign. Yet spirit man of you is transferred. But here's the problem. Your soul wasn't transferred and your body wasn't transferred. Which is why Romans 12.1 says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're to do that. That's our part. And verse 2 says, and we are to be transformed. That word I've taught before in renewing the mind course, that word literally means to take who you really are on the inside and bring it to the outside so that it can be seen. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's our soul. So God changed the nature on the inside, but our responsibility is to change, is to allow that to come out by renewing our mind, learning to think the way God thinks about ourselves, learning the way we think about God, and then to begin to present our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice so that Jesus literally is Lord over our lives. So He came to give us victory over Satan. He came to give us victory over sin. He came to give us victory over our flesh. He came to give us victory over all the fruit of that fear, envy, jealousy, all those things we're going to look at. He came to give us victory. He's already won the victory. Now we have to learn how to receive that victory and walk it out. And you won't receive it if you don't believe it's yours. That's the beginning. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the first one today, we're going to look at how to overcome the flesh. Because if you can't overcome your own flesh, we're not going to overcome anything else. Because your flesh is the part of you that you live with all the time. It screams at you, talks to you, tells you what you can and cannot do. Now, we ended last week by talking about when Jesus said to the disciples when He was in the garden praying and they fell asleep. They couldn't even pray with Him an hour. And, 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 and most of us can't even go that long. And Jesus said, you know, can you pray for me an hour? And He says, the Spirit is willing... This is where many, but the flesh is weak. And I share with you, that's good news. Your flesh is weak, which means you can easily dominate it. The reason it's dominated us so long is we haven't resisted it. We've allowed it. It's like a spoiled brat. Well, it's like another example. Those of you that have taken school of ministry, you'll remember the story. When I first got saved, when I got saved, I didn't get saved the first time I got saved. <laughs> when, I, when I was saved... And I began to discover, because I wasn't raised with this understanding, that I was supposed to be the spiritual <coughs> head of my family. That didn't mean boss, that I was to be the leader. And I remember asking God one time, Lord, what does it mean for me to be the spiritual head of my family? And God, is, His answers are so often so simple. He said, it means you do it first. So whatever changes have to make place, you do them first. You set the example. And I said, okay, Lord, great, let's go at it. Where do I begin? Do I begin with my wife? Do I begin with my kids? He says, no, you begin with the dog. I said, what? See, we had this cute little miniature poodle named Mandy. Mandy was the cutest thing, so precious little thing. And she was cuddly and fun. The problem is you couldn't let Mandy out of the house. Because if Mandy got out of the house, Mandy went where Mandy wanted to go and came back when Mandy wanted to come back. And I kind of really can't get into the story too long because it's quite an involved story. But, but what really brought it home was one night when we had friends over until about midnight. And it was like one of those winter nights in, in, in Boston where it's about 
30 degrees outside, and I'm tired. I've worked all day. I'm ready to go to bed. We, the friends left. The, it's about midnight. Mandy's been sleeping all evening as we've been fellowshipping together and talking together on this nice little cushion. So Mandy's nice and warm and full of energy. And as, as I'm saying goodbye to these friends at the door and about to toll the door, I noticed out of the corner of my eye something moved. And then I looked outside and Mandy was sitting outside like this. Mandy was ready to play. I was not. And I right away realized I got a problem here because Mandy, she's not on a leash. She's only going to come in when she's ready. So now what am I going to do? And here's what happens when you're tired, you're under pressure, and you know, what's, you know that, that there's your, you're on somebody else's territory, you start getting angry. I'm just going to exert my authority. So I start getting angry at Mandy, and all that does is convince Mandy I better not get caught. <laughs> and we had a hedge. It was a short walk, steps down out to the street, and there was a hedge on either side. And so what Mandy did is Mandy went out on the other side of the hedge and was looking at me through. So I came down to the hedge and I figured, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll talk to Mandy. While I'm talking to Mandy, I'm going to go around the hedge and I'm going to pick her up. And she watched me go all the way around until I was right next to her and then she went through the hedge. <laughs> so I go back around and try it on this side. And this happens two or three times before my lightning fast mind realizing she's playing. And she knows she has me. And I about lose it. Because this could go on as long as Mandy wants it to go on. And I'm the head of this household... I'm the one that pays for the food. I'm the one in charge, and she's controlling me. I got so mad, I said, that's it. I, went up, I slammed the door closed, went upstairs. I went in bed, and I got into bed, and I said, God, if you'd ever deliver that dog into my hands, I'd strangle her. And, and I, I kid you not, I no sooner got those words out of my mouth, and Mandy jumps up on my chest. And then God began to deal with me. If your dog is out of control your house is out of control. If you can't control this little four-legged furry thing, if your authority does not exercise over this little furry thing, then why do you think you're going to exercise any godly leadership in this house? So you've got to start with Mandy. So I took Mandy to obedience school and discovered obedience school wasn't for the dog. Obedience school was for me. And it trained me how to be disciplined to discipline the dog and by the time I finished that course, I could take this dog, Mandy, outside, and there was a cute little cat, remember? Daffy, he had one green eye and one blue eye. And Daffy liked to torment cat dogs. And I could take Mandy and have her out in the yard with no leash and tell Mandy to sit, just the word sit. And then Daffy came over and just walked right back and forth in front of Mandy like this. And Mandy's like this. <laughs> looking at me because Mandy won't move unless I said go. And I'm not going to tell you what I told Mandy. (laughs) That's the story of Mandy. But I learned a valuable lesson. So how can we exercise the dominion we've been given over Satan? How can we exercise the dominion we've been given in our lives, the godly dominion, if we're not even exercising it over our own flesh? It's going to be a fun message this morning. It is, because you're going to be set free. 
Because if you really are a Christian, you don't want to be dominated by your flesh. It's bothering you. It's wearing you down. It's robbing you of your confidence before God. God's not angry at you. It's robbing you of your confidence before God because you keep having God, I did it again. I did it again and I did it again. Of course, the more you say that, the, the more you build up the fact that I can't do anything about this. So we're going to talk this morning about what the Bible says about how to overcome your flesh. There are people that are rich today because they've written books about how to get control of your appetite, how to get control of this. All these, listen carefully, self-help books. Huge sections of bookstores about self-help. And we're going to look at what God says about help to overcome your flesh. All right. You ready for the journey? This is part of what I've been learning. Because it's not just affects whether you, what you eat or not. It affects the battle you go through with the devil. It affects how you can overcome fear. It affects how you can overcome everything that the enemy uses against you as a weapon. But it starts with our flesh. Okay. When, this occurred to me this morning as I, was, as I was getting ready. And this really fits in with where this church is headed. Jesus, in, in three and a half years of training his disciples, taught them information about who he was, taught them information about the kingdom of God, and then he trained them. He sent them out to exercise the authority they had been given. At one point he says, Behold, Luke ten nineteen, I give you authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall in any way harm you. And then he sent them out. And they came back rejoicing and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, their, in your name. So he trained them. But when he was ready to ascend into heaven, he gave them one of the instructions that is critical that the church so often forgets about. With all that training, with all that teaching, he told them they still didn't have enough. He said in Luke 24, wait in Jerusalem. Because my father's, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to send to you what the father's promised. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, you will be baptized not many days from now in the Holy Spirit. And verse 8 says, and then you shall receive power so that you can be witnesses of me. So he's telling us we cannot truly be witnesses of him without that power. And this is what I heard the Lord speak to me. He says, the church was not given instructions of what to do and then told to go do it. The church was taught and trained, the first church, and then told to wait until they were empowered with power from on high to go forth in that power and do what they were called to do. And this is what's lacking today. Not completely, but in many cases. In our lives and in the church. We're not walking because we're not willing to wait. And by wait, I don't mean sit around here twiddling our thumbs saying, God, I'm waiting, I'm here I am. But, but wait means to not step out on our own. To not self-help. To not self-help. So we're going to look at the manual for success over our flesh. This is what God has said. Because our instinct is when we're struggling with an issue in our flesh is to try harder. All right, I ate some cake yesterday, but I'm not going to eat any today. I know it's, it's, my birthday was this week, so there's a piece of cake sitting on top of my refrigerator. 
after the family get-together. He was sitting there talking to me. See, your, your, your body can hear talking to me. And so what you do is you give in today and then you say, up tomorrow I'll be better. What happens? Because mm. the harder you try in your flesh, the more you use your flesh. And God has a different way of victory. Different way of victory. We're gonna, what we're going to look at now is what it, is walk, what the Bible calls walking in the Spirit. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at two phrases. I think we'll get to both of them today. One is walking in the Spirit, and the other is being led by the Spirit. And those are keys to living this victorious life. Both of them basically mean to be dominated by your spirit man. To learn to live your life more aware of, more in touch with, more influenced by the spirit man on the inside than you are by the flesh on the outside. And by flesh on the outside, I don't just mean your body. I mean this world around us, because it's talking to us all the time. Every time you turn your computer on, open your smartphone, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, and something's going off. Some bomb went off in New York last night. Something goes off here. It's like there's so much bad news dominating you that you can get afraid. And, it's, and if we listen to that, this is why I don't watch news on TV. I don't want to go off on that either. But I'm not saying you're wrong if you do. But, you know, once you've heard the news once, that's, you've, it's not news anymore. And they don't just have somebody... They have banners running along the bottom. Then they have people on there, sometimes two and three images, telling you what all this means. That's bombard. That's getting in your senses. And, and it's designed to get us afraid. The church afraid. And yet we spend so much time doing that and so little time finding out, what does God say about it? You know, this doesn't take God by surprise, you know. And we're here at such a time for this. We need to be listening to what God has to say, not what CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, and all the rest of these people think is happening. Because God's the one that knows what's happening. So we're going to go learn to... And this is why this series is called Walking in the Spirit. And what does that mean? I used to wonder, what does it mean? So today we're going to learn how to do that with our flesh. Galatians chapter 5. Now, my tendency is to not just jump into one scripture but we're going to start with Galatians chapter 5. But before that, I want to just give you a little background here. This is a letter written to churches in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And these were churches that were beginning to drift back because once the gospel was brought outside of Jerusalem and churches were established, they didn't just sit there and just sit together like we do. There were other teachers and people that came in trying to influence them. And one of those groups were called Judaizers. And what they were trying to do is to draw Jews that had been converted back under the law to say, in order to be saved, we've got to keep the law of Moses as well as, as, well as, 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 as have faith in Christ. You've got to do both of them. The problem is you can't do both. They're mutually exclusive. You can't trust in Christ and trust in yourself at the same time. And this is what Galatians is all about. And that's what the first four chapters of Galatians is about. Chapter 5 now begins by saying, what you need to understand is you've been set free. Christ has set you free. You're not in bondage under the law anymore. We're now free. But now, with that background, we're going to pick up now with verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called into liberty, freedom. 
Only do not use freedom, liberty, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So what Paul is saying is, I've now shown you, you've been set free. You're not under the bondage of the law of, I've got to do these, keep all these rules. That's what the law was. And some of you were raised in churches that were like that, and most of us were raised in families that are like that, and we live in a society that's like that, and the church is still saturated with legalistic thinking. The basis of which is, whatever I get from God is because of what I do for Him. So if I haven't been good today, if I haven't, then God's not going to love me today. God's holding things back from me. God's not holding anything back from you. It's already been given. If it's already been given, He's not taking it back. It's just that affects how open we are to receive and look because of what confidence we have before Him. And the problem is we look at the confidence before God based on us, not on based on who He is and what He's done. And that's the battle that goes on in our lives and in our minds. Because we think, well, if I didn't pray enough, if I'm not giving enough, and we need to pray, we need to give. But if I'm not doing those, then somehow there's a distance there. God's not going to listen to me as much. That's not true. That's not what the Word of God teaches. God's love for you comes because He loves you. It's His nature. He doesn't love you any more or any less one day or the other. If you fasted and prayed all day yesterday, he's not saying, wow, boy, am I going to bless them in church tomorrow? And then tomorrow you get up and you forget to pray and you have a bad, rotten day. He's not going to say, well, I'm not going to talk to them today. That's legalism. That's saying our relationship with God is based on my performance, not Jesus' performance. That's faith in me, not faith in Jesus. And, And the true liberty comes when it dawns on us, God does everything he does for us by grace which means he does it because he's gracious. It's because of what he's like. It's received by faith, but that doesn't earn anything. It just helps you to receive something that's already given, and we could spend weeks on this. But that's the liberty that Paul's talking about here. But now he's going to talk about the responsibility of how we use that liberty. Only don't use that liberty as an opportunity for your flesh. Say, whoa, I'm saved by grace. I can do whatever I want to do. Instead, through love, serve one another. Verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, be aware lest you be consumed by one another. And this is what I wanted to get to, verse 16. So I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Notice he doesn't say, try harder not to fulfill the lusts of your flesh. You didn't do too well yesterday, so work harder at it tomorrow, today, Ralph. Got to work harder than you did yesterday because you didn't do too well yesterday, so you got to work harder today. That's not what he says. The way to have victory over the flesh is to not try harder, it's to walk in the Spirit. It's to walk in the Spirit. Because the harder you try to not let your flesh dominate you, the more your flesh dominates you because you're using your flesh to control your flesh. I get this visual image. Sometimes I think in terms of these silly images that help me understand something. Some of you are old enough to remember when cars had radios with push buttons on them. Oh, you're dating yourself. And, and you, could, you could store a memory by pulling the thing out and pushing it in. Remember that? And so what would happen is if, if, you, if you didn't like this station... What you do is you push this one. But what happened when you push this one? This one popped out again. Remember that? So you couldn't have two of them pushing. The same is true with your flesh. If you're working hard to control your appetite and you get it under control, guess what you just popped out again? 
pride. I got myself a boy. Bruce, you need to get yourself under control. I'm not nothing personal. I'm not. I'm just you said something to sit in the front row. I don't know. Yeah, boy. I, I, I'm able to control my appetite better than, than that person is. So what I did by my own effort pushed that button in, but the pride button popped out. So whatever you do in the flesh is feeding the flesh. So God's answer to getting dominion over your flesh is to not to use your flesh to get dominion over it, because you can't. God's answer is to walk in the Spirit, and then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now what happens if you stop fulfilling the lust of your flesh? Your flesh loses its appetite for those. You know you can change your appetite? Years ago, my wife and I went on this particular type of diet, which we had here called prism. And, it was, and, and it, when she went on and I went on, I just went with her just to help her. With it. And, just, and I, I was glad I did it because it was not just losing weight, it was eating healthy. <clears throat> and, and there were certain foods you could not eat for a while that I didn't think I could live without. But I'm still here. And there are certain foods you had to eat, which... But you know what I found out? My appetite changed. Well, I've told you the story of Brussels sprouts, how I used to, my mother would make me eat lima beans and Brussels sprouts. Because I, I love the other vegetables, but those vegetables I know came from hell. <clears throat> I knew they were not at the lamb's, if the lamb's, at the lamb's feast. You know, they were not, at their, they couldn't be there. And especially lima beans. And we lived, out, we lived in, in eastern Pennsylvania where you had Jersey beans Jersey lima beans are not these little things. They're like these things. They could choke a horse. And I had to eat two of them. And I knew I'd die. I just knew it. But I'm so glad my mother made me do that because I love lima beans today. I love Brussels sprouts today because my appetite for them changed because I ate them and I changed my attitude towards them and then my desire changed. So you can change the desires of your flesh by not feeding them. So if you start feeding your spirit, it stops, by nature, stops feeding your flesh. So we're going to talk about what it means to walk, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. For the flesh, verse 17... The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you wish that your flesh wants to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So walking in the spirit and being led by the spirit are somehow very closely related if they're not the same thing. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The law can told you what you should do and not do. And what the Bible says, the prophecy about the new covenant that we're in, is God was going to write that law in our heart, not on tables of stone. See, we're out, when they're outside, when they're on tables of stone, when they're in a bunch of rules, your mind has to decide to do them, and your flesh has to decide to do them. But what God says, I'm going to go beyond your mind and your flesh. I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to write it in your heart. So your heart wants to do these things. See, God's not sitting in heaven saying, I wonder how much I can torture them today. I mean, they're just human. They're just weaklings. Let me see what I can require them today that's just going to make them suffer. God's not like that at all. He's your Father. He's rooting you on to get there more than you want to get there. 
So God says, I know what the problem is. The problem is they don't want to do in their nature what they need to do, so I'm going to change their nature. I'm going to put my desire in their heart. So now your heart wants to do. But now how do we learn to live that out? But what you have to realize is the victory over your flesh is already in you. You don't have to get victory over your flesh. You just have to learn how to walk in the victory that's already been given to you. Because that victory is on the inside of you. First John says, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater. Greater is he. That's the Spirit of God inside of you. That's greater. All right. Verse 18 again. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because the Spirit's now your, what governs you. See, we're not just free to do what we want to do. It's just we've changed, we've changed what it is that's governing our life. Under the old covenant, it was the law of Moses that governed our life. These rules of do's and don'ts. But now that God's come to live inside of us, His conscience, His desires, He's put inside of us. So all we have to do is learn how to walk out what's already in our heart to do. Now you have an enemy of that. Your flesh. Because your flesh is still back over here. Your flesh still wants to do what it used to want to do because that didn't change when you were born again. But the part of you that changed was the desire on the inside. But remember what connects the two together? It's your soul. And that's where the battle is. That's why Joyce Meyer's written this great book, The Battlefield of the Mind. That's why we have a course, had a course here on, 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 on renewing your mind because it's your mind that decides which one's going to dominate you. Your spirit that has the ability to live a holy life or your flesh that never wants to live a holy life. Remember, your flesh is weak. It can be dominated. Okay. Now he's going to get to some specifics here. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are, envy, are, are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, Heresies, and well, look at all these things. Wow. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. Well, I don't do any of those. And the like. That's the catch all. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about this before. Notice the difference between the term, the, work, the, 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 the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that's born out of a nature. Works are a habit that's developed. So your flesh is in the habit of desiring things that are not good. Your flesh is in the habit, like Mandy was in the habit, of having her own way. She could run the house, do whatever she wanted to do. Your flesh is like that until you take it to obedience school and get it under control. But you can't do that by your own effort. It's learning to walk. In the, and see, here's the wonderful thing. Because, and I've taught you this principle before, the more you think about something, the bigger it gets. That's why the more you think about that cake on the top of the refrigerator. I'm not going to have that today. I'm not going to have that today. I'm not going to have, the bigger that piece of cake gets. And it starts talking to you. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets. That's a very important principle. So the more you think about controlling your flesh, the more control your flesh will have. So what God's done, He says, is stop thinking about your flesh. Stop thinking about your mistakes 
and begin to focus on the spirit that's on the inside of you. Begin to think about and focus on and talk to the spirit that's on the inside of you because the more you think about him, the bigger he'll get on the inside of you. The bigger the spirit of God will become to you. He won't make him any bigger, but the more aware of him, the more conscious of him. I get up in the morning and I start talking to him. Then I'm learning to listen. I sit down and instead of reading what I want to read, I say, all right, Holy Spirit, you know what I need to hear today. Now show me. And I just begin to go through some things. Pretty soon something, a scripture will come to me and I'll just go there. I'm learning to listen to him and talk to him during the day because that makes me more aware of him on the inside of me. More aware of him as I go through some challenging, difficult situations sometimes, listen on the inside of me. And I felt the Lord saying to me, he says, son, you've told stories about how my spirit has turned court cases around for you. Don't you think I would help you today in what you're dealing with? Don't you think I care? You're my son. Those people that I rescued, they weren't. But you're my son. Don't you think I would guide you through today if you'll just look to me and listen to me? So walking in the Spirit just means to live your life more conscious of the Spirit on the inside of you than this world that's around you and your flesh to the point that you're more sensitive to what He's saying and doing that He's in there than you are of the world that's around you. And then fear is going to go away. Because when you're aware of him on the inside of you, what, what's there to be afraid of? It's like a child being in the mall, this little child suddenly losing sight of their parents and getting scared and panicked and suddenly realize, wait, dad's still here. Just because I don't see him doesn't mean dad's not here. And once I know dad's here, it's like... It's like the story, story of, uh, I heard years ago of, of, uh, of, of people that were out on a, on a safari in Africa. And they were, they were taking pictures, not shooting, taking pictures. And they came onto this edge of a clearing, and here was this little baby elephant. Cutest thing, you know, flapping the ears, you know. And they get bold, they're going to approach the elephant, and the guy says, no, 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 wait a minute. Because where there's a baby, there's a mama. And mama's much bigger than baby. And sure enough, in a moment, out from, the, out from the jungle into this clearing comes Mama. And Mama comes out and takes one look at these men. Doesn't know what they're here for. And with her trunk, she moves baby back behind like that. And then she lifts her trunk up like this as a warning. And while she's doing that, back from behind, baby's looking out. <laughs> this whole scene looks a lot different with mama there than it does out there in that clearing. And, and Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never. Even when mama was back in the bushes and couldn't be seen, mama knew where baby was. Even when it doesn't feel like he's around, even when it feels like you're facing situations that are overwhelming and they look like God's nowhere around, God's word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never let you be utterly cast down. I, in fact, in the Hebrew, in, Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, that it was in verse 5, somewhere in there, it says in the Greek, it says three times, I will never, no, I will never, no, I will never leave you utterly forsaken or cast down. And the context there is talking about finances, but it applies to everything. 
all through the Bible, God's promises, I will never leave you. We may have left him. We may have been, may have been, but he's never unfaithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There's some times in the middle of the night it feels like he's nowhere to be seen. There have been some nights I've gotten up and said, God, I know what promise you made, but I'd love to see it come through right now because I could use it right now. But, but I've learned to say, God, I may not feel you right now. I may not see you right now and grit my teeth. But I know you're here because your word says so. So devil, you're lying to me. You're lying to me. You're lying to me because this is the truth. And sometimes you've got to get a hold of it. And that's what brings it out of you. We're often too passive, waiting for, oh God, I believe your word, I believe your... No, sometimes you just got to get stirred up. you got to get stirred up. The devil is intimidator because he has no power. Remember, you've been transferred out of his domain into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So he's talking to you from his kingdom, shouting at you into God's kingdom, telling you you're not going to make it. Duh! I got news for you. I already made it. I'm already here. And if you want to talk about who's not going to make it, let's look at the end of the book. Because the end of the book says you're not going to make it. Talk back to him. See, I wasn't taught this in law school. They didn't have a course on how do you talk to the devil. But you've got to do that. You've got to talk to the devil. I mean, I've got a doctorate degree. I got, yeah, but you've just got to... Jesus talked to him. Now, don't worship him. Don't spend... But sometimes you've got to tell him what you believe. You've got to tell him what you believe. And I'll, here's the key. Two things about him. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. So don't listen to him. And number two, he's a liar. Jesus said he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Listen to me. And there's no truth in him. He cannot tell the truth. So all you got to discern is who's talking to you. That was up free. That's on the side. Okay. Okay, that's the works of the flesh. Verse 21. But the fruit of the Spirit, which is, comes out of the nature of your spirit... Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now look at those things. Go back to verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Gentle, self-control. Now fruit comes out of the nature of the tree. But there's a time before that fruit comes forth. There's a time before that, that, that um, uh, 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 orange begins to come forth on the orange tree. And before that, there may be flowers. I don't know how orange trees work, but sometimes there's a flower that comes out and then it's followed by the fruit. But just because that fruit's not yet out there on the branch doesn't mean that fruit's not in the tree. I never taught this before. Because the fruit comes from the nature of the tree, that fruit is in the tree before it ever shows up on the limb. You follow me? That means 
that love, God's kind of love, is in you right now. It's in your nature right now. It may not be showing up on the outside yet, but you've got to know it's already in you. You don't have to learn. You don't have to be. You don't have to learn how to love. You've got to begin to believe that love is in you. Because if it's something we think I've got to learn how to do, it's out there, and I've got to work hard, learn my lessons to get hold of this love, so I can begin to act on it. That's the works of our flesh. We've got to begin to believe that because the Word of God says so, that God's nature is in me. We, can, we spend some time. We have the divine nature, Second Peter 1 says. The divine nature is in us. That is love. Joy. Joy is in you. Right, I don't know what you're going through right now, but the joy of God, the Lord, is in you right now. Peace is in you. You may be in the midst of a terrible turmoil, but peace is in you. I had a situation last night. I woke up and panic tried to strike me. Because they can do that in the middle of the night. And, and the devil starts telling me, yeah, you've given it. But see, I've been putting the word of God in me. And that's what began to come back out of me. He said, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You're lying to me. And I began to go back over all the other times I remembered he lied to me lately. You told me this was going to happen. That didn't happen. You told me you were going to do this. This didn't happen. You're nothing but a liar. That means you're not telling me the truth now. And guess what began to happen? Peace began to come up out of me. Peace began to come up out of me. The peace was in there. But this thing, the mind was what was... I was looking at the wrong... I was looking at the flesh... I was looking and listening to the things of the flesh instead of listening in here and looking in here. Long-suffering, that's patience, gentleness. All that, that fruit is in you right now. So as we begin to walk our life more aware of who we are on the inside, then we'll begin to act more like who we really are. I've taught you this before. A number of Paul's letters that are, Paul's letters that are written to churches are by and large written to churches to correct things. Answer questions and correct things in the church. But in almost every one of those, Paul never starts out by saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. He starts out in Ephesians, some of the best teaching we have comes out of these corrections. Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, he starts out by saying, guys, this is who you are in Christ. Guys, this is what Christ has done for you. Remember, wake up, realize, remember who you really are. And then somewhere in there, in Ephesians chapter 4, somewhere in there it shifts over and says, now since you know who you are, start acting like who you are. Start walking out in who, who you are, not trying to become something, but walk out who you've already made to become. Crucial difference. Crucial difference. Okay. Wow, I'm going to start this, but this... Oh, okay, I'm going to go down. Okay. Verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. Say, if it's crucified, how come it's making so much noise? Because you're not exercising your dominion that you have over it. With its passions and desires. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So apparently, there's a distinction between living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And here's the difference, because we're going to see it, because we're going to go over, we may start it, we're going to go over into Romans chapter 8, which parallels this, and see the same thing. 
if we live in the Spirit. What that means is if we've been made alive by the Spirit of God. So when you came to Christ, and I've taught you this many times before, God's Spirit came and took your old nature out, and God put a brand new nature in you, a spirit man that's born of God, that has God's nature, and that's what we're talking about. And then God put His own Spirit in you. The Spirit that God put in you made you alive unto God. What makes you alive unto God so that you can hear His voice, so that you can see and understand the things of God, what transferred you from the kingdom of darkness again is this change on the inside of you, and that was done by the work of the Spirit on the inside of you. And that's what it means to live in the Spirit, to be made alive by the Spirit. So what he's saying is if you've been made alive by the Spirit, then walk in Him. Walk with Him. He's He's brought the kingdom of God inside of you. He's birthed this new life inside of you. Now walk with Him that's in you that's made you alive. You see the difference? All right, let's go quickly to Romans chapter 8. We're not going to be able to finish this. We're going to just introduce it. And then we'll go here next week. This is, to me, the most crucial chapter in the Bible. If I could only have one, if I had a desert island and could only have one chapter of the Bible, it would be Romans chapter 8. As a result, I've got most of this by memory in case I end up marooned, marooned on an island. <laughs> it is God's Emancipation Proclamation. Now, let me give you a little background here. We may not get much past this today. I'm going to give you a very deep revelation. This may be the most profound thing you ever hear me teach. Romans chapter 8 follows Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. That's it. Then go home and say, wow, what did we learn something today? <laughs> well, there's a reason for that. Because this, is a, this letter was not written to a church that Paul had founded. So this letter was not written to correct something. Paul had never been to the churches at Rome, and he was on his way there. So before he got there, he wanted to write to them a concise explanation of the revelation that Jesus had given him of the doctrine of salvation by faith. And that's what this entire book is basically about. But the first eight chapters contain the essence of what this is all about. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 basically tell us how messed up we were. And we're all messed up. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those that were in the world and those that think we're not in the world now, but we were all messed up. Basically, that's what those three chapters. I can save you all the effort. Chapter 4 and 5 is God's promise through faith. Chapter 4 explains that we receive this by faith and gives us a little explanation of what faith is by talking about Abraham's faith. Chapter 5 begins to talk about the consequence of that. We've been, we, have, we, now have, we are now at peace with God. God's not angry at you. He's at, we're at peace with the Lord and we, we stand in this grace which we've received. And he talks about how this grace came about. Chapter 6 changes the subject a little bit because it now starts talking about sin. And Paul says, well, some are saying, because we're saved by grace, that means we can just do whatever we want. We can just go sin. He says, if that's what you think, you've missed the whole message. Don't you understand that if you are baptized into Christ, if you've been joined to Christ, then you've been joined to His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Whatever He went through, you now have gone through that with Him. Your position, because if He went through it, I, I, this, is the, this is a terrible example. 
but it's because there's no example that can compare to what he did. But when we got married almost 50 years ago, 49 and a half years ago, what happened is all of who she was, all of the things that she'd gone through in her life, all the, you know, all the assets and liabilities that she had, and all that I'd gone through, and all the assets and liabilities, the baggage that I had, and I had a bunch of it, now my baggage was hers. All the things I'd struggled with and had my insecurities now were brought into this union, so she now had to deal with the fruit of my insecurities where before it wouldn't have affected her. So what happened is, because we're now one, all the good things and all the bad things are now together in one. Okay, everybody follow me on that? Well, that's what happened when you're joined to Christ. All your junk becomes His, but it doesn't affect Him. But all His righteousness becomes yours. Because you're one spirit with Him. One spirit with Him. How did I get off on that? Oh, yeah, okay. Romans chapter 5, 6. And therefore, He says, because of who you are, sin shall not have dominion over you anymore. He said, the only reason you're talking about, I don't know, can I sin, should I sin or not? He said, you don't realize sin doesn't have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Grace means sin does not have to have dominion over you anymore. Why? Because under the law, if you ever made one mistake, you lost it all. But grace says if you make a mistake, Christ is there to catch you. It's, it's like, kind of like... It's kind of why I use this example. Because if I took us out and said, what we're going to do this afternoon is I'm going to give you a very brief lesson on how to be a tightrope walker, circus tightrope walker. Okay? So what we're going to do is we've got a pole out here on the other end of the parking lot. It's 30 feet in the air. We're going to start over on this side, and we're going to climb up. Bruce, you can climb up. You'd be the first one because you're an usher and you're security. And you can, you can get up there, and you can start walking across, and you can show the rest of us how to do that. And one by one, we'll get up there, and we'll learn how to walk across to that. I, I guarantee you, we may, if, any, if anybody does it, we may have two or three. Why? Why am I going to do that? Because unless I'm experienced at that, if I make a mistake, I'm falling 33, 30 feet onto the pavement out there. No way. So the safest thing for me to do is to cling to the pole. I'm not getting out there and taking any chances. I'm going to hold on to where I am right now because it's too dangerous out there. But suppose I put a net under it. Or more than that, I lowered it down to the ground. And I said, now we're going to learn how to do that. And now you get out there and you do this. But see, you're, you want, some of you may not want to, but we get out there, you know, because if I slip, I'm just step over to the pavement. There's nothing, there's no danger in my slipping because there's a ground underneath there to protect me and hold me up. That's what grace is. And because that grace is there, I can step out and learn how to walk in the Spirit. So Romans 6 tells me that because of this grace that Christ has won for me, sin doesn't have to have dominion over me anymore. That's chapter 7. Chapter 7 talks about Paul's effort to try to live this out by his own effort. And we'll just get a chance to read down through here and then we'll have to pick up probably on this next week. I'm going to read to you, let's stop and set Romans chapter 7. It was here this morning. 
Romans chapter 7. Ha, ha, ha. Verse 14. We're going to pick up here. Now, most Bible scholars believe Paul is now talking about his own effort to live a sanctified life after he's saved by his effort. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Remember what carnal means? I'm dominated by my senses. But I am carnal, sold under sin. See if any of you can relate to this. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, I don't practice. And what I hate, that's the very thing I go do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good, but now know it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. He's talking about his flesh. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present in me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. Anybody relate to that? I'll go back to this again. For verse 15, For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will, what I will to do, listen carefully, what I will to do, what I determine to do, I don't practice. Pastor, that was a great message. Boy, that what you said is just what I needed to hear. I am going to go walk that out this week. You may make it out of the parking lot if you're really strong. You may even make it through the rest of today. But you probably won't make it through Monday and certainly not Tuesday. Because by Tuesday you are forgotten. And then you come back, Lord, I'm sorry I failed you. I blew it. I'm sorry. Now your confidence level's lower. So it's harder to hear harder to worship. So you begin to feel the separation from God's presence. God hasn't left you. You begin to feel it because you're aware. I I fell short this week. I I didn't, you know, I just wasn't what I, I wasn't what I thought I should do. And now, so you just try harder. And then it gets to the point eventually we just stop trying. And either you give up and stop coming to church or you do what many Christians do. You live two lives. We live our church life where we come and yes, amen, pastor, that's just what I need to hear. And then we settle for the fact that I don't have to, that that stays here. What, 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 what's done in church stays in church. You know the old Las Vegas saying? No, that's not what's supposed to happen. And that's the devil's trap. Because that's why. Because I know what's right. I've just, I know in my heart because I'm born again. My desire to do what's right's in there, but I find when, look at what, for what I will to do, Remember talking about self-help books? What I will to do, that I don't practice, but I hate that I do, verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Paul's talking about this frustration. In me, in my heart, is the desire to do what's good. And the harder I try to do what's good, the more I don't do what's good. And the things I don't want to do, are the things I go out and do. Again, can anybody relate to that? Or or are you all sanctified and it's just me? (laughs) Then pray for me. (laughs) No, we can all relate to this. Paul was in this. Now it's interesting. I know. It's interesting. Because nowhere in this chapter, nowhere in this chapter is the Holy Spirit mentioned. It's all I willed, I desired, I can't. I talked to you earlier about self-help. 
Chapter 7 of Romans, a self-help chapter. And finally, by the end of this, Paul gets to the frustration. And let's look down. Let's look at verse 23. But I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So I'm being, I've been set free, but I'm being brought back into captivity by what my members, my body, wants to do. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am. I had days when I felt like that. Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, up until now, he's been trying to deliver himself from this body of death. And he's come to the end of himself. I can't do this. It's not working. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now chapter 8 was not in the letter Paul wrote. Man put this chapter in there so I could tell you where to turn. So this is a continuation of the same thought. Chapter 8 verse 1. It's an answer to the question. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Some translations don't have that in there, but it's in later on. For the law, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What I could not do in Romans 7, the Spirit of God has done for me. Because every time I fell short under chapter 7, because of Christ there's no condemnation. Because of Christ when I'm walking on this tightrope and I slip and fall, there's no danger because I'm not falling off 30 feet. I'm stepping off onto a rug or a cement floor that's right there. There's no ultimate condemnation. And now the rest of chapter 8 is how to learn to walk that out. And we'll pick up there next time. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today because we desperately need to know the freedom that you've won for us in Christ Jesus. We desperately need to walk in these things. There's so much at stake, Father, in our lives, in our families' lives, for the church and what we're called here to do in this time in which we live that's got to be done by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so, Father, in our own lives today, we're asking the Holy Spirit to begin to teach us and train us so we would learn how to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. In this week that lies ahead, between now and when we come together to look at this again, help us to become more conscious of the Spirit of God and our Spirit that's on the inside of us, prompting us, trying to lead us, trying to direct us, and help us, Lord, to learn to be more sensitive to Him, more aware of Him, and more aware of You in us, for You've promised to never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.